As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, we'll discuss events in Europe, namely concerning Barcelona, who are on the verge of exiting the competition after their three-all draw with Inter Milan, and the old lady Juventus, who could also be joining them possibly in the Europa League unless results really go their way following their defeat to Maccabee Haifa. We'll reflect on Rangers' 7-1 defeat against Liverpool. We'll look ahead to Liverpool's game against Manchester City in the Premier League this weekend. We'll talk about Kylian Mbappe, who apparently wants out at Paris Saint-Germain. And we will learn about Jack Leslie, the first black player to receive an England call-up. We'll talk Southampton, Ralph Hasenhüttl as well. All that and more coming on the game. Hello and welcome back to The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wissencroft alongside Tom Clark, Gregor Robertson and joining us once again from Barcelona, Ian Hawkey. And that is where we begin, in fact. Barcelona on the verge of exiting the Champions League group stage after their three-all draw with Inter Milan at the Camp Nou. And it was a game that, of course, Barcelona really needed to win. It now means that if Inter beat Victoria Poulsen at the San Siro next week, Barcelona are out. And Ian, you were there last night. I've got to tell you, I was watching the sort of last half an hour of this game. The moment the Inter players spilled off the bench when they went 3-2 up with 88 minutes on the clock, I knew they weren't going to win the game. In the end, a draw was all they needed, so maybe it was worth it. But uh, when we reflect on Barcelona, I personally wasn't that surprised. And it seems like it's kind of reverberating as a big shock that Barcelona aren't going to go through. How big a surprise is it? Well, it, yeah, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, let, let, let's go on immediate precedent. They were relegated to the Europa League this time last year. So, you know, this is what Barca, modern Barca do. Now, you wouldn't say that too too loud in front of the people who run the club. But, um, yeah, you know, th- this is this is unfortunately their modern reality. The huge difference between last year when they, when they crashed out because Bayern and Benfica were much better than them is that everybody knew that Barca were in need of a terrible will rebuild. There was there was a lot of depression around the place. And they hadn't just spent uh, 160 million euros in, in the transfer window. So, you know, this is this is the super squad they assembled by doing lots of borrowing and mortgaging of assets and they are in the same position really. And and they are really brittle as 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 you saw last night in what was a, a fabulous game, I must say. Two flawed teams, but Wow, the atmosphere was terrific. The stakes were high and, uh, you know, it was obviously a total seesaw. Do you think this will affect Barcelona? I was going to say how badly do you think it will affect them, but do you think it will affect them at all? As you mentioned, they were in the Europa League last year. We know about the financial situation. We know they've got some big names at the club, but um, there was part of me that thought, well, they'll probably play more games in the Europa League than they will in the knockout stages of the, the Champions League anyway. 
Uh, yeah, that's true. That's that's uh, that's a, that's that, that's a lovely attitude, Hugh. Um, <laughs> it's it's probably not one to present to the um, to the Barca treasury, but um, I mean, you know, qualifying for the knockouts of the Champions League is 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 an important part of a super club's budget. If you go all the way, you know, you're looking at fifty million euros extra, and you know, Barca need that money. They're 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 over a billion in debt, so they've just spent a lot of money on on the never never. So. You know, there's there's a there's a there's a significant impact of not going through to the knockout stage, and then you know then there's the, the the less measurable things about whether you are still a super club if you don't if you don't regularly go through to the later stages of the Champions League, and therefore if people are going to continue investing in in your replica shirts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, you know they might they might have a they might have a fun Europa League run, but I don't think that was on Robert Lewandowski's agenda when he joined in the summer, for instance. So. Will it affect them immediately? Well, we'll soon see because they're playing Real Madrid on Sunday. So um, that's that's not a fixture you want to go into with with low morale. And 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 you know morale is is really dented. We have we have a novice coach Xavi who's very very popular at the club, but he's been there a year now, and he is going to almost certainly oversee elimination from the Champions League and questions are being asked you know they managed the second half yesterday terribly frankly and they were let down by individual errors which which Xavi did some finger pointing about and yeah they're 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 a really brittle fragile team defensively Ian we've talked so much about all these signings they've made and Lewandowski and you've touched there on Xavi being a great of the club I'm, I'm interested in two other kind of greats of the club Piquet and Busquets in that team and particularly in reference to your point there about managing the game, as an inexperienced coach, surely Xavi would be looking at those two to kind of say, "Come on, boys! You know, I, I used to play with you. Do me a solid." Are, are they, are they way past their best? Are they still do they still merit a place in a team in the Champions League? You know, where where are they standing? Do they need replacing ultimately? That's a very pertinent question. I think there's a distinction. Um, PK is not in the first 11 at the moment. I think you can safely say that. They were missing Jules Koundé, who cost them a lot of money in the summer. They were missing Ronald Araujo, who Xavi likes. Um, they were missing Andreas Christensen last night. So that's why PK was in. PK will have been listening on his way home last night to Xavi's press conference, which was pretty cutting because he, he not only said, yeah, defensive errors let us down, which was which was true and a patent fact. He revealed that they'd specifically practiced Nicolo Barella's late runs into the box, which was which led to uh, the inter equalizer, the first inter the first inter goal. Um hard to keep up. Um <laughs> and 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 PK had had completely misjudged the the offside line, and and that was that was when things started unraveling. So so Xavi really pointed a finger as at as you say his old teammate. Similarly to Busquets, who gave the ball away, which old Busquets you know used to do maybe once a season. So it, yes, they are they they are not the same players that they were uh, ten years ago in terms of athleticism and in stamina as well, and that that is beginning to show. Busquets is still important. To the team, you know, he's in the first eleven. There's another factor here, um, as ever with Barca. There's a political factor. These long-serving players, PK Busquets, Jordi Alba, have been very publicly criticised more than once by the president Juan Laporta for not taking sufficiently large salary cuts, given the club's difficulties financially. Now, uh, this is all being played out in front of 
all Barca's fans at the same time as the club make huge investments in in new players. So I think it is it, it's hard for those players to to hear this all the time, and some of them, Jordi Alba in particular, are starting to hear fans turn against them, and and naturally they think that's that's part of it. So it, it's difficult for Xavi because these are his old mates. You know, these are these are the players he. He, he shared great triumphs with and was part of, you know, the greatest club side of the moment with um, 10 years or so ago. I'm kind of surprised to hear that there would be pressure on Xavi. It was kind of a hospital pass of a job in management. I know he's a Barcelona legend, but so much upheaval going on at the club. Yes, they've managed to supply him with some some decent players, but you, you kind of felt like in a Mikel Arteta style of riding yourself out a transitional through years, you know, given the relationship that he has with the club, he might put up with a little bit more, Xavi. And so he was the ideal candidate and also an up and coming coach without the, the big European experience. It was a huge job for him, you know, that they would sort of take that journey together over the next few seasons. There wouldn't be this immediate pressure on him to deliver. So I'm surprised to hear you say that there would be any any pressure on him, really. Uh, y- yes. I mean, it, uh, uh, it's, it, it's difficult to get your head right around the impatience of of supporters there is also an institutional aspect to this you know this is this is a club where the president is elected so there are cycles of of when you need to show success so that that feeds into a general impatience and of course Barca fans are really spoiled you know the last the last ex legend club manager promoted very suddenly was Pep Guardiola so you know Xavi has spent most of his life being compared to Guardiola in all sorts of ways. So, you know, that's, that's a difficult mirror to hold up to yourself. Um, he does have a, you know, he does have a line of, of, of credit because he was a great captain and part of a great side and a really great footballer. But it's a year now, and actually I was just looking at the stats. His predecessor, Ronald Koeman, also an ex-club legend, by the way, had exactly the same points average per game as Xavi. So given that Xavi's been there almost a year... I think, you know, I think that's that's a statistic you can gently beat him with. Mm, but they are top of La Liga. They're unbeaten so far uh, in the league this season. It's the same record as second-placed Real Madrid, who you mentioned they face at the Bernabeu on Sunday. Um, I just wondered how you felt these two teams matched up and what you expect to see at the weekend. Yes, a good question. I mean, there's an obvious contrast between stability on, on Madrid's side and players being initiated into the Barca way on, on the Barca side. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, they're neck and neck at the top. Um, they both uh, dropped a few points, and when they have, they've been, you know, a little bit irritated by that. I think Barca's form, especially after after an exhausting night against uh, Inter, um, is is poorer than Madrid's. Madrid's came, Madrid came back to draw in Warsaw in the Champions League. Hey, but you've got some, you know, you've got some really obvious contrasts. Benzema versus Lewandowski. The kids in Barca's midfield, Pedri and, and and Gavi against that established immortal duo, Modric and, and Kroos. It, the other interesting thing is is whether who signed better. Madrid didn't sign very many players at all, but they signed um Aurelian Aurelian Tremaini to sort of come into Casemiro's position and he has been superb. Barca signed a cast of thousands. Lewandowski has been mainly excellent. The others, well, they you know, they still they still have to work their way in. 
Okay. All right. Barcelona, we will see exactly what happens with them at the weekend against Real Madrid. If it's a big defeat, not saying it will be, um, then there will be extra pressure on Xavi, the Barcelona boss. Got to say at this point in time, though, Ian, special mention to Ivan de la Pena. You know why I say that? Uh, because he was a beautiful player to watch and you've been looking through some YouTube archives. Because he's Eric Garcia's agent. My word, that man is a genius. I mean, I was watching that game last night. Man City and Barcelona on his career record already. Oh my, out of his depth. I mean, I can't believe it. I don't know where he's going to end up in his career. I wish him well, but he certainly, <laughs> like it, yeah. he certainly shouldn't be out there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway, we'll move on very quickly. Uh, Israel's Maccabi Haifa beating the Italian giants Juventus for their first Champions League group stage victory since when, Tom Clark? 2012. 2002. Close. Gregor, yeah. which English giant did they beat on that night? I know. Arsenal? No. Ah, oh, go ahead, Ian. Manchester United, former English giant. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. 3 0 over Manchester United, no less, back in October 2002. I thought Sir Alex Ferguson was perfect. There you go. Rewritten history. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Max Allegri Juventus uh, now need to win at Benfica and at home to Paris Saint Germain to have any chance of making the last 16. Juventus are eighth in Serie A. They are already 10 points behind the leaders, Napoli. Ian, what is going wrong for the old lady? Well, um, a series of things. Um, instability. They have changed their head coach rather a lot in the last three years. They have chased Champions League glory as a point of obsession. They have spent a lot of money on Cristiano Ronaldo without getting the Champions League they desired. And their latest batch of, of incoming players are beset by various problems. Um, Paul Pogba, above all, um, he's, he's yet to play on his, you know, his reappearance at Juventus with a knee injury. Now, you probably don't expect Pogba to solve all their problems, um, but it is a big miss. Um, yet another detail in this on, on a disastrous night on Tuesday when Angel Di Maria, who, uh, you know, who, is, who is a guy who can supply the right passes, um, limped off injured and in tears. Now, Di Maria has already been injured once while at Juventus. This is the second time. He looks very worried about his World Cup now. And he's been sent off. But, but in between those episodes, he has managed to look quite good. So that's another loss. But but overall, they, they just look so limp. And they that fire that you know has been part of Juventus for, for so long, and certainly most of the last 10 years, it just doesn't seem to be there. They're, they're, they're slow to the ball. They're slow in the build-up. They're expensive centre-forward, Vlajevic, who was you know put on a par with Erling Haaland at the beginning of the year is not getting the service and when he is he's he's you know he's he's missing chances yeah it's it's it it, it really is spiraling what do we think about how the club will react going forward um will there be a change of manager will there be a change of approach apparently not um andrea agnelli who has who is looking a more and more unconvincing as president um, says that Juventus don't change coach mid-season. He's changed coach three times in the last four summers, but he says he's going to stick with Max Allegri, who's there for the second time. I'm not sure how far um, people who follow Juventus believe Agnelli, but but yeah, he says we're, we're sticking with Allegri. I, I mean, I, I, Allegri doesn't look like he's um, he's got 
he, he's motivating the players, frankly. I mean, he has got these disadvantages with, with, with injuries and, and the plans he had around the new signings not being able to come to any fruition. But also, I mean, you know, who there are, there are some good unemployed managers around at the moment, but, but do, you want, do you want to take on that task of lifting a demoralised team up from eighth in Syria and, and taking them into what is very likely to be the Europa League in the new year? Yeah, it, 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 it's hard. And Agnelli and Allegri go back quite a long way. So there may be a sense of loyalty there. But Agnelli also has other fish to fry. You know, he's, he's, he's busy trying to, to get this European Super League off the ground, along with Barcelona. That'll be entertaining. We're seeing exactly why we had that conversation yeah, the other day here, because yeah. Juventus are in the state. I mean, we've just spoken about Barca. Look at the rest of Spanish teams. Sevilla are out. Atletico Drew were, were held to a goal of straw with, with Bruges and are looking pretty dodgy for qualification. Chelsea dispatched with Milan twice in a week, pretty straightforwardly. Um, I was pretty kind of... Uh, <laughs> Hopeful about the about the uh, the prospects of this Super League thing being uh, dispatched and, and swept aside, but you can see exactly why um, clubs in, across Europe are still holding on to the the idea of their coattails. Yeah, I mean, I think it will happen. I've said before, I don't want it to happen, but I think it will happen because, in my experience, my short time on this earth, money talks. All right, and it's always about the money. Ian, just just while you're with us, do you think it will happen? <laughs> Uh, yeah, in 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 some form or other, yes. Um, I, I I do. I think I think the penny has dropped that um, uh, having a very formalised protected status um, and obviously you know very little relegation or no relegation for super clubs. I think I think they've realised that that needs to be to be repackaged to. To have any chance of selling it to supporters, but yeah, they 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 will come up with some new contortion of it, and and I think yeah, I, I suspect we will see it within the next within the next ten years, certainly. Um, I mean, the interesting thing that's happened. I mean, Greg has pointed out that several so-called superpowers and and clubs from you know the the second and third strongest leagues supposedly are really struggling in the Champions League. That of course does create a you know. A vacancy and you know a little bit of applause for for Brugge or FC Bruges as they're known because uh, you know they've been they've been they've been a club to admire in this Champions League. All I'm saying is Thursday is the new Wednesday, guys. Okay, because the Europa League this year is going to be absolutely sensational. <laughs> in the, the second knocker. year you've said that. I remember this yeah, last yeah, season yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, Funny, yeah, yeah. who was in it? You came along on that journey as well with Manchester United. No, it's fine. It's fine. Listen, let's move on. <laughs> Champions League, let's get back to it. Uh, Liverpool, huge win for them. They beat Rangers 7-1. Celtic beaten 2-0 at home by RB Leipzig. This is our little Scottish football report from our Scottish football reporter, Gregor Robertson. What happened to Rangers? I think we've got to start there. Giovanni van Bronckhorst's side, huge defeat, probably their biggest ever home defeat in, in European competition, I imagine. It's their biggest home defeat non-stop. Like, full stop, sorry. Don't sound too excited about it embarrassing now yeah <laughs> I mean no I'm not excited about it because it is embarrassing it's embarrassing for Scottish football too you know we, we spoke we gave them praise when when uh, they got in the competition we gave them praise in fact after the Napoli game they, when they put, put up a good fight and again they put up a good fight in the first half they were arguably the better team in the first half uh, took the lead but they just the capitula capitulation was just embarrassing yeah I mean the Rangers are in danger of finishing with the worst ever record of a Champions League group team I think I looked in Dynamo Zagreb 
have the record just now, six losses, three goals scored and 22 conceded, and that was in 2011-12. And Rangers have currently scored once and conceded 16, and they've got Napoli and Ajax left to play. So there is a real chance they will have the worst ever record, which is not good. Celtic were, it was the same old story, same old story. And you could say it was similar to Rangers, but it's slightly different in that they created so many chances. I woke up on Wednesday morning to a message from a, a good friend of mine who was at the game uh, and was probably drowning his sorrows after being at the game, uh, Brendan. He said, in our four games, we've had 54 attempts on, on goal, 17 on target, and scored twice, and one of them was an own goal. That just tells the entire story of Celtics. I've watched all the games. Even Real Madrid, we spoke about the Real yeah, Madrid yeah, game. Yeah. First half, they should have been 2-0 up at least. Uh, and then, you know, class tells. And that's, the, that's ultimately the story of Celtics' campaign that... We just could not put the ball in the back of the net and this was the result. It's mostly important, I think, for these two sides now to, to get back in next year. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to do everything they can to qualify once again because if, if you're in multiple campaigns, especially as I heard Ali McCoy after the Rangers game last night talking about using the money wisely, and that is probably a big question for Scottish football, whether you, as one of these clubs, just take the money. You know, there's the ownership groups. One of these two clubs said, brilliant, we got in the Champions League but we're happy with the amount of investment that we're putting into the team. We're happy with using the money elsewhere on the club or just, you know, keeping it in the bank for a rainy day, of which there this probably is one given what happened with COVID-19 and stuff like that. So you never know. What do you think will happen going forward? Well, look, it's always the same old balancing act about how much you invest and how much you can invest and how that can skew the balance in, in Scotland even further. Also, you can only you can only attract a certain kind of calibre of players. Celtic and Rangers both need to realise now, and I think they have there are they are starting to accept it, that they can be a stepping stone actually to to a bigger you know, to a bigger club for some young players, good young players across Europe. So they need to do that, they need to do it very well. It's not an easy thing to do, but that's probably the future for Celtic and Rangers. It's investing fairly low sums of money uh on potential and probably been a sailing club. Okay, that just about ends our European roundup. Ian Hawkey, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, he'll be leaving the podcast. Some excellent insight into those two European giants we spoke about a few moments ago. Uh, speaking of which, big game in the Premier League this weekend, but involves two clubs with lofty aspirations. Liverpool taking on Manchester City. It has been a two-horse race in the Premier League for a, a few years now between these two sides, and it doesn't look like it's going to be the case this season. Jurgen Klopp, Looks like he's under real pressure. That wide, very, very bright grin is turning into a shiny grimace as far as I'm concerned. You know, he just answers the questions, every question with a little bit of needle now. And that, I think, is a, the telltale outward sign from Jurgen Klopp that he's feeling the heat a little bit. Not very happy with Dietmar Harman for some reason. I, I don't know what's happened between them in the past. I thought Diddy was a nice guy. But anyway, I digress once again. Do you think Jurgen Klopp is feeling the pressure? No, not at all, I would say. He can do basically no wrong for at least another season, I would say, given what he's achieved at Liverpool. I think a lot of Liverpool fans, quite rightly in lots of respects, point out the kind of spending difference between them and Manchester City and what Liverpool have achieved in getting close to them. I think I know they've spent a lot of money. I could see you leaning into the mic there to <laughs> launch back at me about Van Dijk and Alisson. No, no, I don't think Liverpool have spent a lot of money. No, and I think Liverpool fans would say they haven't spent a lot of money. And I, I was arguing the case for Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool a little bit earlier on this week. They don't have the squad or the investment to keep up what has been an excellent three or four years in any other era where they weren't competing with a side with nation-state money yeah. would have won 
you know, half a dozen trophies, at least several Premier League titles, I imagine. You know, I don't think they're a club set up to compete with that, particularly when it comes to a transfer market. Yeah, they bought Allison, they bought Van Dijk, but they sold Coutinho to be able to do that. And yes, they, they bought Darwin Nunez for a lot of money, but they had to get Sadio Mane's wage off the off the bill. And they sold him, of course along with the likes of Minamino to make that happen. You know, they can invest a little bit, but it wasn't like they just put their hand in their pocket for 70 or 80 million. You've got to sell before you buy. And look, you know, I just don't think year on year, long term, with the huge spending of other clubs, you know, Manchester City won't stay at the top. Newcastle might be there before we know it. You know, there's just no way unless John W. Henry just doesn't care about his fortune anymore and decides that he'd rather put it into a football club. Yeah, well, I mean, to go back to your original question about them, whether Jurgen Klopp is feeling the pressure and that smiley grin he has that sometimes mm. feels a bit menacing, I think what he is actually showing is that he's thinking. I'd say it's his thinking face because he's thinking, how do I get more out of this team? What can I do? What, how can I adapt what I've got? And I think he's shown that in recent weeks. We've talked about it um, recently on the pod. Paul Joyce has written about it, you know, tweaks in formation. He's written a piece again today, Paul Joyce, about... Uh, Mo Salah playing in a more central area for when he came on against Rangers and obviously that's where he got those goals. Roberto Firmino, one of my favourite players of the last kind of five years in terms of the modern forward doing lots of work. He seems to be having a bit of a resurgence and, you know, Nunes, two good finishes. We've talked about, oh, is he under pressure to start scoring goals? Well, he scored some goals. So I think Klopp's, Klopp's thinking. He's thinking, what can I do here? What can I, how can I adapt this? And look, Rangers were poor. Yes, Greg has talked about that, but seven goals in the Champions League is only going to be good for the confidence of players like Salah, Nunes uh, and Firmino going forward. And there's some positives. I mean, Konati's back and he gives a bit more presence to the back four. Joe Gomez grew into the game. You just get the impression that if he, you know, with, a, with some regular games, he'll, you might get back to some... It's a great delivery for Firmino's goal. Chimikas, I think he's probably revealed himself to be a, a major downgrade on, on Andy Robertson, so it's good that he's back in... Uh, back to full fitness, I think, for, for the weekend. But there's some positives there coming back. And it, it is interesting. I mean, Joyce's piece is really good too because I think that the problem is that he, he has the outline. There's several players who are at their best through the middle. Mm. So it's what they do now, whether they whether he sticks with two up front, whether it's the three, but it, it goes back to three and then Salah has to be the one on the right. And then you're going to play Firmino just now. That means Nunes isn't in his best position. So Jota's still impacting games when he comes on but he's probably his best through the middle too so that's probably there are there are a lot of there's a lot of thinking to do for yeah, you I'm telling you he's, he's just trying to work it all out but, with Jürgen. but ultimately you know that's that's about goal scoring and they were brilliant against uh, Rangers in an attacking sense in the second half but their biggest issue is going to be keeping goals out because I think it was the 14th in the last 20 uh, games 14th time in the last 20 games that they conceded first which, you know, it's not sustainable if they want to start claiming the table. Yeah, I think it's difficult for them. It'll be a difficult weekend for them against Manchester City. Do you see them rising to the challenge like they have over the last few years? I know they felt like they almost had Pep Guardiola's number at times. You know, does the visit of Manchester City almost awaken them in a, in a sense? I don't know whether it awakens them, but I think I expect them to put in a good performance. Uh, Gregor, Gregor makes a very good point about them conceding early. Obviously, with City's firepower, that's going to be an issue. But if Canate can play alongside Van Dyke, and if Van Dyke can kind of put in a performance that has perhaps been a little bit missing of late, and if Klopp can pick the right blend up front that I think has got to do more pressing work from the front, I think, against City, because you can't let their defence have the ball. You just can't. 
but I can see them having a kind of resurgent type performance because you go back to those performances when Klopp's Liverpool were kind of on the rise and they blew City away. It was with that kind of intense pressing, pinch the ball, turn it over, score almost on the counter-attack in a weird way. That I remember doing a piece of research where I looked at the goals they'd scored and from pinching the ball to ball in the back of the net it was you know 10 15 seconds so i'm not necessarily saying yeah, they'll play the... like that but they, it gives them an opportunity doesn't it to revert to that a little bit which is for a lot of those players who are still the same players which it goes to your point Hugh, about strengthening the squad they know the system they know what to do i wouldn't mm. i wouldn't be surprised to see a, a really resurgent liverpool um certainly wanting to put put some uh, marker down as that we're still here yeah, what do you? I'd go for experience. I don't know, Fabinho alongside Henderson in that midfield, Thiago. I just the work rate that's needed against Manchester City just hasn't shown that in the in the last few games, and it's been highlighted. I don't see any other winner than Manchester City in this game, and I expect them to score first as well. Very intrigued to watch Van Dijk against Haaland, of course, as long as he's fit. Haaland, who of course he didn't play in midweek, I don't think. But yeah, it should be a huge game. Doesn't feel like it's got that magnitude at the moment. I don't know. I don't know what you think. Well, yeah, obviously the Liverpool start makes it a different proposition now. You, you used the word, word awakening there. If it's an awakening for Salah, it's it's hard to kind of understate how important that is for Liverpool because you got you know the mind drifts back to some of the recent games that that kind of ridiculous run he made in the right right hand side, just cutting up about three players yeah, and yeah. a goal from nothing. If he's got that, if he's back. To anywhere near his best and he's got those moments then they, they change the game so they need that's what they've lacked as well it's not just yeah as I said they've conceded conceded first of Luke Shake at the back but there's also big players who haven't really been near their level and they need them to step back up to it and like Mo Salah his second goal wow just the kind of there's so many players around him and he like just takes loads of steps around the ball without touching it and then he stops it and then whips it in the corner and just completely bamboozled everyone. He's he's a joy to watch when he plays like that. The other thing to say, which is almost a cliche, but you have to say it, they're at home, Anfield. Like, that crowd is going to be so, so up for, you know, silencing City at least a little bit. And maybe it'll be a draw, you know, may, maybe it's just showing some fighting spirit. I mean, that's, that sounds almost patronising to a team of Liverpool standing, but I can see it. I can see some of those big players putting in big performances like Salah, uh, like Fabinho, like Van Dijk. And I could see them pinching a draw Elsewhere we're going to talk about Southampton another coach inspired by the great Ralph Randnick by the way in terms of that pressing anyway at Southampton having lost five of their last six uh, we know why it didn't work out for Ralph obviously uh, in the Premier League including their last four they host West Ham this weekend you'd have to think this is another game that could see Southampton go down to defeat. They're 17th in the table at the moment, just outside the relegation zone. I want to ask if their manager, Ralph Hasenhutl, is is really under pressure. And the reason that I stress if if he's really under pressure is I'm basing this on the players in the squad, whether he should be penalised for a club that's recruitment policy has been to bring in extremely inexperienced players who are very, very young. How much criticism can the manager get for that? Well, for that specifically, not a great deal. But I think briefly on the point about recruitment, we have praised Southampton's recruitment in the past because they've been the team that Liverpool and many others have pinched players from because they've signed very cleverly. As Gregor alluded to in our pre-season show, I remember him talking about the, the the level of youth and the level of inexperience felt like you know the most telling this summer. 
I think the kind of back four and goalkeeper can quite often look and be incredibly young in terms of average age and incredibly inexperienced in terms of Premier League appearances. But then when it comes to Haas and Hootel himself, you only need to look at his time in charge of Southampton. And I was looking at the stats since he took over. Points dropped from winning positions. Southampton top since he took over. 92 points they've dropped from winning positions. Next worst is Newcastle with 73. 19 points difference. Goals conceded since he took over. 251. Next worst, Newcastle, 220. So, you know, they're miles ahead. Errors leading to goals. They're third behind Everton and Manchester United, only just. You know, but he's been consistent as well. If you look at other metrics, possession won in the final third of the pitch. Liverpool top, City second, Southampton third, Chelsea fourth. So, you know, we know what he's about. We know what style of football he wants to play. And it can occasionally bring out some fantastic performances from them and some fantastic spectacles for us where they upset the odds. They, they cause some real shocks and beat some big teams. But it's, it's, it's that consistency which has ultimately been conceding too many goals, dropping too many points. And then, as you say, Hugh, recruitment-wise, they've gone quite far down the line of let's sign some players who are inexperienced and young. But, you know... Armel Belakochap, who's you know made his Germany debut at international level in that game with England in the Nations League, widely tipped to be a top top central defender and, and you know very good player. You're then looking at that and going, well, if he has time, if he's brought on right way, he'll be one of those that's sold for forty million to Liverpool when they need a new Virgil Van Dijk in a couple of seasons. You know, it, it's it's fine margins, and I do think he is under pressure to come back to your point in a very long-winded way <laughs> if they lose at the weekend. I think he, it'll come down to relationships, actually. I don't think it's anything to do with the squad. I think he's actually quite invested in, in the, the whole model at Southampton, which is obviously buying young players you know, with a lot of potential and you know, understanding that they're not going to always hit the ground running. It might take some development. I think he's fully on board with that. But I, there's just a sense, like the noises coming out of the club, that he's kind of losing... losing the dressing room a little bit losing there's not really much of a relationship between him and the dressing room anymore um, I think it actually you know there was whiffs of that last season when they lost sorry they won one of the last 12 games and then in the summer they sacked basically most of their backroom staff they sacked Kelvin Davis Dave Watson and, and Craig, Craig Clement just to kind of rejuvenate it a yeah, little bit yeah. that was a time where they could have made a change but they, they opted to stick with Hassan Hootle and change change the backroom staff but it still seems that it's kind of gone stale um, so I don't think it's anything to do with the kind of bigger picture I think it's how has a kind of deterioration of his relationship with with the squad and with the with the club really as a whole because the fans have, have kind of started to turn on him a little bit as well so there's only so long that can be sustained without an upturn in results so you might get a little bit longer he's the longest serving manager in two decades Um and you know their 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 strategy is fascinating, I think, and it's also interesting that you know we if we're being critical of it now, we, I don't think we were critical in summer. We were kind of saying this is going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah, it, and it, it's it, a, it was bold. I think was the very general bold, yeah. gist. Very very you know, bold. Bizarre, and risky. Bella Kochap, young players. Yeah, but the guy who they brought in in the summer to oversee it, Joe Shields, is now going. Looks like he's going to be going to Chelsea. Yeah. So you know. I don't think what they're doing is necessarily broken. It's just that those relationships are broken there. The thing coming back to the young players and bringing in these inexperienced players, both in terms of Premier League and age, 
Tony Cascarino was talking to me about this. He he said that he remembers playing and sometimes as a senior player, if you've got too much youth around you, you kind of look and go, I, I don't, I'm doing this a bit all on my own type thing. And when you look at their senior players, you've got kind of James Ward-Prowse, who's not exactly, you know, in his twilight years. Che Adams, I mean, is he one of your more experienced players? Armstrong. He probably is, Armstrong. But I mean, it made me then think, well, forget Erling Haaland. One of the most significant transfers of this summer was Oriel Remu leaving Southampton for me because Alison Rudd, obviously a super fan of his, he was such a big part of what, whenever they played well, he really can kind of control the game absolute foul master in central midfield yeah, yeah. you know stopping oppositions but again that kind of experienced head in a key role that perhaps allows you to bring in a young center back and a young forward but you've got that central cog in the machine and they're missing him i think massively and you do wonder whether that kind of lack of experience might tell as the season goes on you think they'll make a change what would it what would it take for them to be in the bottom three for a decent run i'd say Remember, remember, this is a guy who's, who's you know survived. rode out two nine L defeats and kind of. But that's incredibly refreshing, isn't it? I think in a way, like that's yeah. incredibly refreshing because ultimately they're saying, well, we've got the project, we've got the plan, we've got the way of playing. If we stay in the Premier League, job done. I think it'll change. <laughs> that, it changes yeah. when but usually they've had a half. I say a half decent start. Usually they're not in the bottom three, like you say. And it, you know these results and bad runs come in the second half of the season. Yeah, they're when they fade. Uh, they're, when they're, they've got thirty nine points. Yeah, exactly. And other teams are doing worse. But when you start the season as one of those teams, I mean, I don't know what the aspirations of Southampton are. I don't know. If, you know, for me, I think that's a Premier League club mm. um, would, that would want to be in the top flight, and that would be their goal. But. You know, they might be a team, and if you look at their recruitment, that says, "Well, we're about the long term." You know, and these well, players are, are yeah. going to be good enough. They are, and they look. This is a club that's you know among their investment group is Rasmus Ankersen, who was at Brentford, obviously, and mm. uh, we saw Thomas Frank when he got the job, he lost his first seven games, I think, and like you know went on a bad run. They they are he's he's of that mindset where he's going to look at the underlying data and all that kind of thing. That's why I keep coming back to. I think it's about his relationship with the players and the club, and it will get to an end point. And I think we're probably quite close to it, so he's going to need to turn it around pretty soon, I think. The other thing is when, you know, table doesn't lie, you look at the teams below them. Leicester, big win they had against Forest. Who knows whether Brendan Rodgers will be there, but you'd imagine they'll come up behind Southampton and overtake them. Wolves just changed manager. Forest are probably the only team in the kind of classic guise of relegation candidates in mm. that they're new, new to the Premier League. Bournemouth and Fulham doing incredibly well. So you then look at that as a Southampton fan, and start to and start to worry and I think that if they then dropped in that's when they'd start to think of a change maybe after the World Cup Okay, well, we'll see how Ralph Hasenhuttl gets on. Big pressure on him. Southampton hosting West Ham in the Premier League this weekend. Maybe we'll be reacting to a Premier League sacking on Monday. Who knows? Anyway, up next on the game, uh, we'll be speaking to Owen Slot, chief sports writer from The Times, who joins us to discuss events at Paris Saint-Germain concerning Kylian Mbappe and also Jack Leslie. If you don't know who he is, make sure you stay tuned for that. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, big news in Paris this week to begin with. It's reported that Kylian Mbappe is unhappy at Paris Saint-Germain and wants to leave in January. Although the club, it's reported, have no intention of selling him after he signed a new three-year contract in May, supposedly with a 100 million euro signing on fee and a 50 million euro annual salary. It's not the first time since the start of the new regime of Qatari owners that all is not well at PSG. The Times chief sports writer Owen Slot has written about Mbappe's need to be indulged and joins us now on the game. Hi, Owen. Hey, how you doing? Very well. Firstly, do you believe it, it's true because Gaultier, the, the PSG uh, boss, kind of made out it was rumour speaking after their game in the Champions League this week. If it is true, why is it all happening? I believe it's true. Um, I, I desperately hope it isn't true because it just reflects so badly on on Mbappe, who's uh, a wonderful new-ish or, or uh, young superstar in, in the world game. And and um, you, you don't want uh, to see uh, amazing athletes, uh, heroes, uh, icons, role models, making complete arse of themselves, which is what he's doing here. But I, I do believe it's true. I'm sorry, I just... I, I do because it's been reported by multiple um, uh, respected senior sources. It, it, it hasn't been hasn't been reported like tittle tattle. And and more to the point, um, uh, it was so easy. It was so easy to shut this down. Uh, Mbappe could have um, just gone and done a post match interview saying, "I'm sorry, I don't know where this come from. It's wrong." Uh, he could have gone over and waved to the fans and pointed to his. Um, club badge or any of the stuff that's sort of part of the, the lexicon of, of, of communication that that um, has sort of developed in the modern professional sports world. And, and none of that happened. And poor old Christophe Galtier, who's the manager in, in sort of kind of in the middle of all this, he's found himself, he's not any of his creation really, um, was left to make a, a kind of pretty weedy denial afterwards. And the silence in the... Um, in the uh, uh, 36 hours since the game has has sort of only really corroborated um, what what's, um, was unfolding on Tuesday. What's he unhappy about? I mean, I spoke about the figures earlier on. I'd be happy with that, wouldn't you? Well, I think you said he's earning 50 million a year. Well, I mean, he must be furious about that. He's, I mean, th- 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 this is what's so just just so just just fantastically silly about this story is he's a, he's in a team where. Uh, he has um, Messi and Neymar playing alongside him, the two uh, arguably most creative players in world football, or, or certainly, certainly uh, as good a double act as you're going to be going to have. Te- teeing up the goals for him, he scored more at this point this year than he had last season. Yet he says the team hasn't been set up 
in, in a way that uh, is to his pleasing. And when I say he said that, he sort of nudged and alleged this. Um, I mean, specifically, um, he, he talks about the pivot or the pivot, that's my French accent for you, uh, which is, which is um, your big striker leading the line up front. Um, and he, he says that uh, the, 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 the story is that when he renegotiated his contract to stay, uh, um, which happened early last summer, and it was big news that he wasn't going to rail, he was going to stay at PSG. And it seems that he was promised um, that uh, PSG would, would sign a pivot to play up front, uh, who he who he could play off? So kind of a, a big player with his back to goal, receive the ball, and Mbappe could run off him and, and uh, score hatloads of goals. Um, I mean, not that, that playing off Messi and Neymar in just a slightly different way doesn't afford him, you know, the most assists that any player in um in, in world footballs could be getting these days. But but anyway, he didn't get his his pivot, and 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 he he has he has made the point that that when he plays off Olivier Giroud uh, for France. That's the sort of setup that that he would be slightly happy with. I mean, the, the language of that this conversation so it's just preposterous, isn't it? That 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 he's not happy with what's been done for him, though he's got Messi and Neymar. I mean, and and well, well, good luck if he wants Olivier Giroud instead of Messi and Neymar. But um, it, it talks all. It's all about player power and ego, and the, the, those who know the club best say it's also something to do with. Um, who's the star of the show and Mbappe was the star of PSG last season when uh, Neymar and Messi were, were not, not having, um, not to their best. And they're both firing now, probably with the um, world cup more in mind. And um, Mbappe is, is not the standout star. And we're told that he, you know, he would rather that Neymar wasn't there. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's just so silly. It's just, but um, it, it, it just reflects incredibly badly on him. Slotty, listening to you talk about the kind of almost farcical nature of this story, it makes me think of how maybe English fans, English clubs would react if a player of this stature was behaving as uh, he's done. You talked about the silence of Mbappe in relation to this story and not coming out and saying anything. You were in Paris and your piece talks about L'Equipe and some of the newspaper reaction. What was the reaction to Mbappe like in the stadium? What was the reaction of the fans like? How, How do you think this has gone down with PSG supporters? Yeah, I, I was. Um, it, it was one of those games where where you you go. I, I got to be. I've got to be in my seat before the players run out for their warm up to see what what their reception is. And uh, it had been put to me that the PSG fans would feel that um, that that uh, this kind of adulterous behaviour um, would w- would be um, frowned upon. But in fact, when he he, he ran out for the for he, for the warm up beforehand. Um, there was no adverse reaction at all. And then the, the bits when um, before before kickoff, when the stadium announcer runs through the names of the team, and um, he, he, there, there there was I didn't hear any booing. I think Neymar probably got a, a slightly warmer reception. And uh, he, he, the, the um, PSG fans at one end, end of the ground, absolutely fantastic sort of nonstop din throughout the game. And when Mbappe uh, converted his Penalty to to put PSG uh, one 0 up. Um, they have they have this thing where uh, the stadium announcer says uh, Killian, and then the whole stadium shouts Mbappe back, and um, and it just it just it, it didn't it didn't feel like uh, there was a bust up in in the air. But uh, Mbappe was subbed just a couple of minutes before the end. 
put his coat on and then when the final whistle went he just zipped round um and down the tunnel and kind of i don't think he even put his hand up to, to sort of wave or anything and uh, and that was it so 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 there, no no kind of insurrection from the fans but as you say if this was this was in the uk it, it would in England, English football, the, the 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 um astonishment and abuse would be be quite a lot louder, I think. Oh, and is there not a bit of an argument to to say that this Mbappe is a a creation of PSG's own making, and that as you said in the piece, they indulged him. I don't know what world he must have been living in if he thought that they were going to sign at a pivot and either and. Neymar or Messi weren't going to play in a front three with them. So, you know, to actually indulge him in the first place is sort of—is this such a surprise that it would have come to this juncture? Well, I mean, I I, I, I hear what you're saying. I sort of agree with you, Greg. I mean, it, it, it's like a social experiment, if you like. You know, you 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 take take a guy out of the the, the tough Paris suburbs, um, you know, that we know that he came from, and turn him into a superstar, and and everyone tells him he's magnificent and he's at a club where he can earn 50 million and then when he wants to go to Real Madrid the the president of Macron comes and pleads with him to stay I mean is it strange is it um, such a surprise that uh, that he's behaving in in such a a warped way well um, not really I mean they they, they've offered him everything he wants. Yes, they 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 have created a a, a monster. I, mean, I hate hate to talk talk in this kind of language, and you know, I, I des- it, it would be a relief, though not so great for this podcast, if PSG put him up for interview tomorrow. <laughs> this, this is this this is all rubbish. Um, but 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 yeah, it, 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 it's you know we 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 we've seen in, in football and numerous sports how. Um, uh, uh, wealth and 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 uh, and praise can distort um, decent people's behaviour, and I and I think that is what's happened here. Uh, very quickly, I've got a question for you all: Is this player, Kylian Mbappe, bigger than, more important than the club? Is this a first instance of it? Is it a, just a latest instance of it? Do you believe it can't be a thing? Some people don't. No player is bigger than the club. One thing on Mbappe. I do think when Slotty's talking about Messi's and Neymar's and things like that, and we're thinking about this kind of player who's held up in such esteem, he plays well for France, not just because he's playing off a pivot, as he so calls it, but he played well in that World Cup when they won it because he had players feeding him the passes he wants. I have, I have, he's an explosive player with incredible pace and a fantastic forward, but I've never seen him as the kind of Messi-like, does-it-all-on-his-own type player. And these kind of complaints are proving that to me. So in that sense, it, no, to answer your question, I don't think he is bigger than the club. And I think he is an incredibly talented forward who needs players around him to get the best out of him. So in that sense, he's not worth it. Please don't take that clip and put it in. Put it out <laughs> just, he's not good enough. That, that would be my take. Well, it's tempting to say yes, because the club's artificial. The club has very little history. And it's, uh, you know, as you're very keen to point all the time, uh, a kind of sports washing project, basically. So it's tempting to say yes, but they're still they still exist as they exist now, and they're a big club now in the European stage. So the answer is no, unfortunately. I mean, what actually, do you think? it's not unfortunate. It's the answer <laughs> is no, and that's probably the way it should be. <laughs> I mean, well, well, I I think the the obvious thing that that, that every right minded person would say was that no player should be bigger than the club. But I think at, at this point, maybe maybe he is because he his his power here is is so great that he seems to be dictating 
um, who they sign and how they play. And they've built this um, structure around him. And if he does just swan off to Real Madrid or whatever in, in January, then he's, he's, he's detonated the club single-handedly. And, and they're in a position where they could and should be challenging for um, the Champions League. Um, that's, that's what they're kind of here, here to do, apart from um, uh, sell um, packages and, and the reputation of Qatar. Um, and, and so, yeah, he, he, he seems to be behaving bigger, bigger than the club at the moment. I just think this is your chance to lay down the marker about who's boss. I mean, firstly, I, I, I mean this in the, the nicest possible sense. You know, when you sign a contract with a nation state of, of that value, you should sort of understand who's boss in all of that. I mean, they're not paying you to take orders. Do you know what I mean? So in that regard, you definitely are not the boss, Kylian Mbappe. Um, and in, in a football perspective, they are now the boss because you've signed a three-year deal, which we're in the first six months of. So... You know, in terms of your power balance going into the transfer window, well, it's it's with them because you, you're going to have two and a half years left on your deal, even if 200 million comes through the door. So I don't think he's bigger than the club, but I do think this is a chance for the club to sort of lay down a marker that he's not and that no one is. Unfortunately, if they actually have broken a promise to him, it's going to be very, very difficult to repair that situation. You can't really turn around to him and say, you're an idiot. Of course, we didn't mean it. We just wanted you to sign the contract. <laughs> but there you go. Anyway, uh, we'll see if the Kylian Mbappe situation is resolved. So finally on the game podcast, I'm, I'm sure most of you know it is Black History Month. And there is a big piece of news. Almost 100 years on, Jack Leslie, the first black player to get an England call up, will finally receive his cap. I mean, tell us some more about Jack Leslie. Who was he? What's his story? Jack Leslie was a Plymouth Argyle uh, forward um, in the uh, 19, 1920s. Um, he, he was he was a, a black player um, and uh, he was called up um, to play for England, for the national team, um, uh, in 1925 to play in an international against um, Ireland in, in Belfast. Uh uh, he was uh, the first um, black player that uh, England ever uh, um, selected to play for to play for the national team. Now, anyone who's who's listening will know that uh, the first black player to actually play for England was Viv Anderson, which was in 1978. Uh, so, quite a long time between 1925 and 1978. And what ha- so so the question is, what happened between? Jack Leslie's uh, selection uh, on the 5th of October 1925 uh, and the game of uh, nearly three weeks later when he, he didn't appear. He didn't even make the trip to, to Belfast. In, in fact, his his name just sort of seemed to disappear from from the squad sheets that uh, that um, can still be found in, in, in various um, archive newspapers. Uh, it's, what, it seems that what happened uh, was that the, um, uh, the FA, I mean, it was a... a uh, selection by a committee in those days. Plymouth Argyle was in the old third division, um, which was also um, a geographical back then. So probably a number of the FA committee hadn't um, ever seen him in person. Uh, but after after se- selecting him, it, it seems that uh, uh, the colour of his skin became more widely known, and, and then he was and then he was sort of quietly dropped. It was never actually explained to him in person why he was in, was in the squad and, and then why, why he wasn't. But he did say that um, people from the FA, he, he, gave an, he gave an interview when Viv Anderson was, was selected in 78. 
um, uh, he gave an interview and he was asked about his own experiences. And, and, and his words were that the FA came down to watch me, but not to see my football, but to see my face. He, he was a very, um, by, by all accounts, a lovely, humble man. And, and you can't imagine someone kicking up a fuss about something in those days uh, in, in that regard. I'm not sure how you would do that. But uh, he died in, in 88. Um, uh, and Plymouth fans have um, since then known him only in the sort of the stats of the club, like uh, 400 appearances, one of the sort of uh, players who played the most, 137 goals. I think he was, he's fourth in their um, their most goal scored list. But the, the, the story of, of actually who he was in this England um, experience was only really uncovered by um, a couple of, uh, of Plymouth fans uh, two years ago. Uh, and, and they thought that this was something really big and significant uh, and they wanted to do something about it. Started a started a campaign. They thought, could we do a, a a statue? They put it on crowdfunding, and the 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 movement. Um, it was around the time of Black Lives Matter, so um, that kind of helped help the story go. But um, they raised the money incredibly quickly. And um, uh, last Friday, in um, uh, outside Home Park, the um, the statue of um, of Jack Leslie was finally unveiled and his three surviving granddaughters were there to do the unveiling and witness it. And um, I, uh, it, it, it looks, I've spoken to one of the granddaughters um, and I, I've seen the, um, the, the TV clips as well. And it looks like a, a wonderful and um, extremely emotional occasion. And the FA who were sort of, or certainly historically, the villains in all this um, have certainly sort of come to the party, if you like, because on Friday, when the on the day of the statues unveiling, the FA announced that uh, it would be presenting to Jack Leslie a, um, a posthumous honorary cap. The FA have never done this in the past, so um, they're sort of making history here, or helping Jack Leslie make history here in in retrospect. We should have been the, the first black player ever to play for England. Well, as it stands, he's the most recent uh, player ever to be capped by England. Yeah, important move uh, from the FA. And if you're down at Plymouth Argyle, make sure you do uh, try and see that Chet Leslie statue because it looks absolutely wonderful outside Home Park as well. Uh, Owen Slot, thank you for joining us uh, on the Game Podcast. Uh, thank you all for listening as well. Appreciate that history lesson. But uh, Gregor Robertson, Tom Clark, thank you for your company in hockey as well. And to all of you for listening, make sure you check out the Times app right now. Download it wherever you get your uh, apps from and make sure you're subscribed as well. It's the times.co.uk forward slash the game or just hit that bell. We'll be back with you on Monday. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.